Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and I am currently in Brooklyn for a live event, <laughs> uh, which is very exciting. Uh, it's great to be in the city that never sleeps. It sounds like it from your voice. I had a big night last night, yeah. <laughs> I have not seen some friends in many years, and so things have got a little out of control. This is uh this is bodes extremely well for your return to the UK. Oh yeah. That that episode that we record together is gonna be a mess. Uh who are you? <laughs> uh I am Luke Bailey. Uh I, I, I have not had a big night because it's Tuesday and I have a job. It's Tuesday, in it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to The Content Minds. This week, we are actually following through on what we announced last week when we teased uh, that we were going to be talking about Netflix and streaming data. We almost didn't. In fact, Luke really wanted yeah. to do a whole episode on the Facebook mega dump, but uh, we are going to just talk about that to start the show off. But as always, let me kick things off with a very simple question for Luke. How's the internet this week? Um, the internet has been, I think fragile is the word that I want to use. It's, it's, it's felt like walking across a frozen lake and like, you know, it's bad and you know, it's going to go bad and you can hear like the cracking, but it hasn't actually oh, wow. gone bad. So why do you feel that way? Um, it's felt like a lot of the things that, well, I mean, the Facebook report's part of it. Like it's what a lot of people have been talking about. Wait, what, and what, fa what Facebook thing? All of the Facebook things. Yeah. I mean, that I would agree. Um, I'm inundated with content about how bad Facebook is to a, to a point where I, I don't really know how to process it. As I suggested to Charlie Wazell, we need some sort of algorithm that would select the most engaging <laughs> elements of it and feed them back to us. So what we're talking about, uh, just to, just to define what we're talking about is the, uh, 1718 outlet project called the Facebook papers. Uh, it is, I mean, God, it's what, like 30 stories at this point, And there's more coming stories. based, I, I think more, right? It is by my count, according to this document that we have, which I should cite whose document it is actually, uh, it is close to a hundred. Almost a hundred stories published. And th that across... does, that does include the original wall street journal, Facebook files. Right. And the, the, this, this is a hundred stories published across four days based on thousands of leaked documents from Facebook. Uh, and yeah, uh, things, things don't look good, uh, no. at, for Facebook. That's my, uh, that's my professional analysis is that Facebook, not a good company, I don't think. Also looking at this, this document they have that has all of them in, I'm now also realizing there are like two from Le Monde, uh, and one from, uh, Sudoj Zetung. Uh, and that's the only non-American ones in there. So I think there's a lot of non-American ones that we don't have here. I think so too. I think there, there have been quite a few European ones. Um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I guess, like, what what are some things that have stood out for you kind of going through all these? I mean, I think the most interesting elements of it are that, well, number one is actually what you mentioned when we, we were first talking about it before the show, which is that nothing here is really new. The details no. are new, but the, yes. the central, like, kind of contours of it, the bits and pieces that we kind of thought were happening, that is not new. Yeah. The, I mean, I, I have to... I have to say, like, as someone who has written extensively about Facebook over the last decade, this whole thing has been kind of brain melting f- to watch because, like, it's stuff that we kind of knew, but it turns out they knew it too. You know, like, there was, it turns out they knew everything that we knew and they just weren't telling us. Yeah, every it, researcher, every reporter, it's maddening, actually. It's, it's like they were Content Minds fans who who <laughs> just were taking yeah. it back in and being like, hey, Mark, have you heard this cool podcast? Yeah, that's what it feels like. Uh, it feels like they've been listening to our show. Um, just, uh, just for curiosity's sake, I wanted to see what was on the Facebook Top 10, according to the Twitter account. <laughs> Uh, because you know, there's a, a lot of stories here. It. It's a good day for it. There's a lot of stories here. You know, a hundred something stories across almost 20 news outlets. It's got to be making a big splash on Facebook's newsfeed, right? Uh, so <laughs> the top 10 performing link posts on US Facebook pages in the last 24 hours. Uh, I'm reading this on Tuesday, uh, October 26th. The, the number one post is by Pixel, Pixel, which is a photography blog. And then every other story in the top 10 is either by Ben Shapiro or Dan Bocchino and one Breitbart link. That Incredible. is unbelievable to me. Um, so I guess no, no one on Facebook is reading about Facebook. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think though, if I was going to, I think if I was going to pick some actual things that happened at, that came from this report that I'm kind of like, some of this is stuff that we knew happened and it's interesting to see how. Uh, I think the best example of that is, uh, it's actually the piece from, uh, it's, who's, it's from the big technology substack, which is Alex, uh, Alex Kantrowitz. Um, who, is he Buzz, was he Buzzfeed? Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We yeah. Um, and his thing that he came out from it was that Facebook removed the newsfeed algorithm as an experiment for some users, for 0.1% of users or 0.05% of users, uh, and discovered that people engage with Facebook less, uh, people hid more posts. There was more content from Facebook groups, which is really interestingly interesting. Interesting, yeah. Uh, and Facebook made more money from users because they scrolled further. So I was actually kind of tweeting about this the other day because like, a user was kind of asking me, like, you know, okay, well, what's the solution here? Like, what what do we do with this? And the solution that I kind of keep coming back to with all of this is just no algorithmic recommendations. Uh, but people probably don't remember that non-algorithmic user-generated content websites are really boring and weird. Because, yeah. like, people will just stop posting, and when they stop posting, there's just no more new content until someone starts posting again. Apparently, the thing that they hate most uh, is seeing posts from public pages they don't follow because friends commented on them i all yeah i could just i could understand why you would hate that because yeah. you don't follow those pages so why are you seeing them you know? yeah exactly you're suddenly seeing like oh my one friend who's really into cars is commenting on the release of a new toyota and you're like why am i seeing this content about a toyota i would agree i i would like to know why that that is happening oh i know why 
<laughs> the thing that like sort of stays the thing that sort of like jumps out to me i think is the stuff about other countries yeah the just complete lack of moderation and language support um it's the 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 stuff particularly about the global south in 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 the leaks is really upsetting um yeah. for listeners of the show where readers of garbage day you probably know that i spent a lot of time like overseas like working on reporting web culture and to just see how little of a shit this company gave about every country that it was being used in where it was you know places like india where it was literally replacing digital infrastructure that the country was no longer doing itself you know i i spend a lot of the time in brazil where whatsapp essentially runs the country in fact during a whatsapp outage like i couldn't even like properly text my girlfriend and like it is just really, really upsetting to see that Facebook just like doesn't care. And they just don't care. Yeah. Um, and I, for what it's worth, I, th- I kind of blame this on just kind of American exceptionalism. Like it is an American thing. It's just that America never before has been in control of other countries' infrastructure in this way, or certainly without having the military involved. Right. No, I mean, like this is an American company that has monopolized the way people communicate in countries all over the world. And then we discovered that they didn't even have people who spoke the language. Yeah. Like the the stuff about Ethiopia in particular is also, you know, just mind blowing. I mean, the fact that it's being used for human trafficking and like drug cartels and ethnic cleansing, like, like MySpace didn't have these problems. <laughs> <laughs> like no one was using MySpace for ethnic cleansing. I'm pretty sure. I don't think we got to that level. And it's just like, none of this had to happen. Like no one needs Facebook. No one, no one needs it. Yeah, and it's it's exactly the thing of it's not so much like build it and they will come, it's build it and then let's see what happens. And it turns out it's really bad, and they've just sort of gone like, well, I don't really think we have to do anything here. And and the, like the reality is, is like building infrastructure like this in one country is really really hard. And this is you know, it's Facebook is designed to work in America. Bluntly, right. like it, it, it's better the 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 you know the more like America you are, the better Facebook will work. But it doesn't work in in America because it elected no. it elected a, a, a Donald Trump as president and then did an insurrection, and yeah. that yeah. is also in this data. We knew this again. We knew this beforehand. We knew it was all organized on Facebook, uh, other other platforms as well, but significantly Facebook. They couldn't deal with that in the U.S. and the U.S. has broadly you know robust institutions outside of Facebook. If you're a country that has no other robust in- institutions like Ethiopia, it just, everything gets like orders of magnitude worse, and they just do you not s- give a shit. Did you see the thing about Nick Clegg? Fucking, <sighs> fucking stupid Nick Clegg, being like, "Oh, actually, this is people being uncomfortable that we are giving tools to the masses to take in their own destiny, or whatever the hell he was saying." And it, in these leaks. There's he was, evidence. He was deputy prime minister of the UK, and he's mad that people are like taking power into their hands. You were the deputy prime minister. Also, there's stuff in the leaks about how Facebook was working with the Vietnamese government to censor people. This is not <laughs> populism. This is not like helping the common person have a voice online. This is you are literally working with governments around the world to censor people in democracies. Like the, the stuff, uh, the stuff about them not translating election materials into spanish because it would seem partisan is insane to me it is like, absolutely it's insane. insane like all of it is so dumb and insane and it's just like i i've been i i i, I almost like don't know how to talk or write about all of this because like i spent so many years reporting on these things 
and to just find out that like you pull back the curtain and it's not even like a weird old man who's the wizard it's like literally just like a bunch of idiots like yeah. the, there's just no thought there was no thought and i I've, I've genuinely struggled with this all week actually uh i feel i feel angry in a way that i i, I was not prepared for cuz i was just like what is this like like what is this yeah, it's this thing of they're finding, they're bringing out these documents that just explain, like, I mean, I know I've done this, I don't know you've done this as well, much more than I have, which is having extremely long conversations with Facebook employees, or not even anymore, but whatever weird PR agency they now employ to do their, their comms, like having extremely long conversations with them as they explain, actually, Facebook could not possibly have done any of the things you're saying they're doing. And you're like, well, I'm looking at it, I understand how this works. And they go, no, that's not, uh, that's not how it works. Are oh, you using it wrong? Which they said to you a bunch. So, and, yeah, I, I, this, here's a story. This is all public. So I can like share this story. I was in Mexico the week before their 2018 election. And I stood in a small apartment building where 15, 20 somethings were running essentially like a troll farm. They were, they were running a network of fake news pages. And they were getting money from different politicians to spread. This is actually a very Mexican twist on the whole thing. The politicians were paying this group to spread fake news stories about themselves, which they could then blame on their opponents. Yeah, this. I mean, this is a, a group that we've seen in every single country. Always Wait different. a minute, but hold on, hold on. So we, we brought cameras. I am walking around. I am filming it. I take the footage and I tell Facebook about it. I literally am on camera with this man, and he is showing me how he convinced a bunch of people in Mexico that Paul Walker was really alive still. He spread a hugely viral rumor in Mexico that Paul Walker did not die and actually just moved to Mexico. And it was all over Mexican Facebook. And I took all of this to Facebook, and they told me that it was simply not possible that any of this was real. It, they told me that, like... There is no way that Facebook is powerful enough to convince a bunch of people in Mexico that Paul Walker was still alive. Yeah. And it's like, but I saw it. I saw all of it. <laughs> and and they spent they spent days trying to intimidate me. I hate using the word gaslight because it's completely overused, but it, it was gaslighting because they weren't just questioning my reporting. They were questioning like my ability to understand what was happening directly in front of me. And uh, we ended up – I think I ended up publishing, like, everything Facebook said because it was absolutely bonkers bananas. Um, and I don't think they really ever talked to me normally again after that because I think we just burned them. I put it all out because it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Uh, and the fact that they knew the whole time is just uh, – it's it's astounding to me. It's it's utterly astounding. Yeah. I had a similar thing a few years ago with a um, – it was something that Tommy Robinson did on Facebook, which I don't know I actually ever did publish um, because I couldn't quite stand it up enough. but. Yeah, speaking to Facebook about it and him kind of live streaming the stuff that he was doing and me saying, look, like fundamentally, this is a Facebook thing. That's how he's doing it. That's how he's getting people like to, to follow him and this stuff. And they're like, it's not, it was, this would happen anyway. And it's like, it, it's here, it's here. It's on your platform. It's like, no. And it's, oh, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. But, but they clearly all knew it does. And to be fair, I think the PR people dealing with this probably didn't know this and are probably as, as gaslit as, as you have been or I have been. Um, but, except for that fucker Andy Stone, he absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yes. But no, I will say I have I have spoken I have had conversations this week that lead me to believe that the PR people 
were just uh, in the dark as we were, uh, yeah. which explains some of their some of their behavior. Not all of it, but it explains <laughs> some. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this will be something that when I eventually get a therapist, we can spend a lot of time <laughs> talking about together because. Yeah, I'm pretty destabilized by the whole thing. I'm I'm pretty pissed, <laughs> as you can as you can probably hear. I just uh, it, it it's hard not to think uh, about all the time wasted uh, reaching out for comment when they were never going to tell you the truth, anyways. Yeah, you know the other actually one other thing that came out of this that I kind of noticed as a okay, you know you know what you're doing here. Like this was not just accidental. Is the Washington Post's story from today? Uh, which is called uh, Five Points for Anger, One for Like, How Facebook's Formula Fostered Rage and Misinformation, which is just, it's just a story about how they made anger more valuable than positive reactions. Exactly. And it's like, exactly. Right, we, we we felt you doing this. We thought you did this. And you always said, well, it's fine because the formula is secret. That's not how we do it. We want meaningful social interactions. And it turns out meaningful social interactions is, is indistinguishable from an argument, essentially. They like, wanted... They wanted a negative feedback loop because they were obsessed with time on site and they discovered that an angry user will stay and fight. They, it's this, it's the thing that like people have known since like the days of something awful. Like everyone knows that if you get in an internet fight, you're just going to like keep going. There's no, and you're going to keep coming and you're going to keep coming back as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, they're just trying to trap people in, in an infinite fight and keep them there. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, I, I have told stories on this show often about my dad and his Facebook behavior, my dad's friends and their Facebook behavior. And just to to know that the company knew that it was doing that to people yep. is just really the fact that there were employees in, you know, in some of these leaked documents, they detail employees begging them to do something because Facebook is turning their friends and family into QAnon supporters. Like, I, I, I touched on this a little bit in Garbage Day, which I'm sure you read recently. And <laughs> I I want to, like, articulate it a little clearer because I've been thinking a lot about it, which is that, like, the Internet has always been full of garbage. Okay? Yes. That's literally where my newsletter title comes from. The Internet is full of garbage. And See, I was many... it was because you were garbage. Interesting. I thought it was like, hey, I am... it's well, garbage day. I'm here. I'm your garbage. I am garbage. I am garbage. I have arrived. Your friendly garbage man is here. Anyways. The internet has always been full of garbage because it is a giant user-generated content platform. It's a network of people posting, right? And for many years, one of the most valuable jobs on the internet was an aggregator, was a blogger. The whole idea was to aggregate content and curate it and give it to people because without that, the internet was just a mess. It didn't make any sense. And even before curators and bloggers were like a job you could have, you logged on to AOL.com and it would aggregate some stuff for you to look at. Like that yeah, has, it, that it has been old school portal internet. Exactly. The, 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 the whole internet experiment is based on organizing the chaos of what people are posting without involving human beings. When you automate that process, you are basically just allowing a bunch of robots to make decisions about all of the crazy bullshit on the internet. And what it's giving to you. So when you have something like Pizzagate starting on 4chan in a normal world, yeah, there might be some like right-wing bloggers that are going to pick it up and aggregate it. But for the most part, like it's not going to infect an entire network of people who have zero media literacy. And in fact, we have tons of examples of conspiracy theories pre-2012 that kind of fizzled away, like Hollow Earth 
Do you know what that is? People believe the Earth is hollow <laughs> in the middle. It, it's not really a big deal. Like, to be, well, to be fair though, a lot of these have now come back because yes. the ground has been been trodden for them so aggressively. That's the thing. It's like it's it, it's it's the same thing we saw with like the monopolies of like factory farming and food production at the turn of the last century, where you have all of a sudden like just like bacteria and like fecal matter like going into your food because they don't know how to process it properly and like the company in charge like has no oversight that is exactly what's happening again but with our information and it's it's just exhausting it's just exhausting to think about (laughs) and it's it's yeah and it's this connection thing where you know obviously in the last two years we've learned an awful lot about viral spread and how if every human on the earth is connected something travels around all those people very, very quickly. And that's exactly what Facebook is. It is a vast web of connections. Everyone's connected. And then it turns out you put something at one end and then it's there and then it can never be got rid of. Like, I think that's that's kind of the... What it comes down to is... I mean, you know, okay, so (laughs) this happened uh, the start of last year. Start of last year, uh, there was a Labour Party leadership contest. Uh, Keir Starmer won. And I remember looking at something then and being like, oh, the thing that's going to happen here is because Keir Starmer used to be in charge of the CPS, which is the Crown Prosecution Service, who do like, who prosecute people basically. Um, and a rumor, a basically made up rumor went around that he let Jimmy Savile off. And uh, I saw this March. Jimmy 20- Savile for Americans is a prolific, uh, British pedophile. One of many. Um, one of many. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's going to be the thing. Give it a year. And a year later, it's now coming up in, in focus groups. There's a couple of people who do kind of like good kind of focus groups where they talk to voters and be like, hey, what do you think of this person? What do you think of this person? And it comes up as the thing of a reason people don't like Keir Starmer is they say, well, I've heard this stuff on Facebook. It might be fake news, but, you know, it seems dodgy. Right. And it's like, right. right okay. So genuinely, I could see this a year out. This guy's more than that. All that's going to happen in a year's time is people are going to be talking about how Keir Starmer let Jimmy Savile off, which isn't really true. And lo and behold, that's what's happened. And it's like, yeah, that's never going away. That's never going away. And all this stuff sticks and it's going to stick forever. And it's just like, yeah, it's this, it's this mad thing. I actually, actually, I, I ran across someone in, in, uh, in shopping the other day. I was like at the counter, chatting to the guy behind the counter. And the guy next to me was explaining how he didn't get a vaccine because of, uh, actually more vaccinated people are dying. And I was like, oh, I know the fucking memes you see, man. I know where this has come from. I know precisely the things you're looking at. And it's just like, it's really exhausting. Like It and, is. Yeah. They've designed a system that means that none of this stuff will ever die. It is, uh, it's mind-boggling to me. Um, and the worst part is, I feel like we are doing this with a Facebook. And even if even if something were to happen and we were able to do something about it, with Facebook, we would not be even close to dealing with it for other platforms. Cause this, this is not a Facebook problem. This is a, this is a TikTok problem. This is a Reddit problem. This is every site that has recommendation algorithms, automated yep. recommendation algorithms. Every site that does it has these problems. And we're going to make a big stink about Facebook, hopefully, and maybe something will happen. Meanwhile, every teenager in America is on TikTok and their algorithm is way more aggressive, as we talked about last week. Yeah. And, you know, so. TikTok will do something and it'll fix it and it'll change it in some way and then something else will happen. Because it's the same stuff that... 
See, I go back and forth on this in a really interesting way. Like, depending on who I've most recently talked to, sometimes I'm like, the internet is fundamentally different to anything that's come before and will radically change how people think and communicate in a way that I don't think could ever be fixed. And then I kind of talk to other people and I'm like, no, no, no. it is a, uh, a step that has happened many times before. Like the first version of this was the printing press when suddenly things could be printed en masse. And, you know, it happened with radio, it happened with newspapers, it happens with TV and all this stuff comes out and then people kind of figure out how to deal with it. The question is whether the internet's happening too quickly for that to happen. But I think that, I, I, yeah, I go back and forth on it. What I do think is really interesting is the number of young people, and this also comes up in the Facebook papers, who just do not give a shit about Facebook anymore. Would right. not put stuff on it because they don't want any of their personal information on it. I think, which I think also will become like a very like major thing in the future. I think that if you were a, I don't know, a 10 year old now, I don't think that 10 year old will ever have a public profile with their own face attached where they put anything that is not kind of brand curated yeah or they'll have a fin a private finsta like they they understand how to toggle per privacy settings yeah exactly they're and doing they're, it everywhere when they're at school they have a twitter account where they put their like achievements at school and thoughts about the news or whatever it is which will be what gets checked with their jobs and their university applications uh and then they're not gonna have any sort of private digital material out there right Right. Which then is like, I, oh, maybe we, maybe we fix this, actually. Like, maybe people do understand that this stuff is nonsense. Maybe people, maybe there is a way out of this. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I, uh, I, I, I similarly go back and forth on it like you. I think the internet is almost, I, I don't think there's almost anything new on the <laughs> internet. Uh, at the same time, I think the very fact that everything now is observable even if it's old even if all the problems are old the fact that they're observable and archivable thus changes the nature of them so every problem that we come up with on the internet we've been dealing with for thousands and thousands of years but the fact that we can see them and they can network together and that we it's all there in front of us i think changes the nature of them um you want to talk about streaming <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about a different sort of algorithm Okay, we are talking specifically about a weird report that Luke came across called DigitalEye.com. And so, Luke, give us the broad strokes of like what jumps out at you about this and, and, and why you wanted to talk about it this week. So I should give credit to where it came from, which was that it was actually discovered by a friend of the show, Jim Orson, who was writing friend of the show, Alex Hearn's newsletter at The Guardian. Uh, and kind of one of the things he brought up in it was that there's there's an agency in Bristol, like a small agency, uh, who has figured out how to track streaming better than anyone outside the people who actually own the platforms. Uh, so to put that kind of in, in context, um, what how TV ratings work? Uh, I know they work in the UK like this, and, and they work very similarly in, in the US. The Nielsen ratings in, in the US and the Barb ratings in the UK is there's a panel of people. It's you know four thousand people, eight thousand people, twelve thousand people, whatever it is. It's not a huge number. Uh, each of them get a box which is attached to their TV, uh, and then it 
they know everyone in the house. Uh, they know their ages, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then they basically push a button down whenever they're watching TV. I think it's automated now, actually, but this is how it used to work. Uh, and then record what channel they're watching. So you get a sense of, okay, we have a thousand, uh, 25 to 34 year olds in this panel and a hundred of them are watching the football, a hundred of them are watching EastEnders and a hundred of them are watching the chase. Therefore, we know roughly how these scores and then they, that's kind of how they figure out TV ratings. Yeah. The same as, same as America with the Nielsen ratings. It's, they sort of extrapolate yeah. based on a sample size and then they say that's the rating. Exactly. Um, and this company has basically put together their own panel, which is entirely, which is tracking streaming and only streaming, which means that they have got a sample of what the most watched things on streaming are. Now, Netflix are very, very cautious about what they release. And you should read Jim's newsletter uh, edition for more on this because it is quite good, Um which is broadly about the fact that they only release and they say, okay, our most watched shows by hours per account is X. And everyone's like, wow, I can't believe there's so many people watching Squid Game. But what right. this company's able to do is kind of look at it and be like, okay, so how many people actually is that? Like, how does that compare to TV? Because I've, I've kind of made this point before, which is that I don't know if, you know, Netflix counts two minutes as a view, which is, you know, it's not Facebook. Like people don't scroll through it on Facebook in the same way. Facebook counts, I think it was five seconds as a view or maybe right. three seconds even. So you get a view on Facebook. It's meaningless. A two minute view on Netflix is more meaningful than that. But potentially is also kind of misrepresentative because, you know, you don't rarely turn something off on Netflix off two minutes. Watching two minutes of a 10 episode show is not, <laughs> is nothing. Like that is. Yes. But also like the, the number of people who do that is probably very, very small. Whereas on Facebook, it was always very clear the number of people watching only two seconds of something. Like that was much clearer. Like it was clear that right. there was a big proportion of them. Also streaming video that appears in a feed is a totally different beast than something like Netflix, which is sort of more of like a digital theater setup. So you're, you're, you're not scrolling through titles as they're auto-playing. It's a totally different experience. Exactly. So it becomes really hard then to figure out, okay, how do I compare how many people are watching Squid Game with how many people are watching The Great British Bake Off with how many people are watching Addison Rae's TikTok feed with how many people are watching football? I, like, it, I can't compare those figures in any way. Uh, and that I think is, is what's, um, what makes this kind of, these numbers really, really interesting. Um, to compare it, bring this back to Squid Game. Uh, Squid Game was watched by, according to Netflix, 142 million accounts, which is, we can right. roughly assume is households because most households only have one account. Um, but the reality of how those, that kind of compares to other, other, like, units and actually how many people um net digital eye this company reckons that 79 percent of europeans with netflix uh started to watch the program uh and basically half of those so 35 percent of all europeans with netflix watch squid game which is a big number that but, is big yeah. but when you actually add that up and kind of cut it down and know how many like netflix accounts there are in the uk it is comparable to big shows in for example the uk uh, it is not the same as, you know, uh, like, ne it's not next level. It's not the only thing people are watching. It just feels that way. Similarly, in August, uh, the three most popular new releases in the UK were Clickbait, Hit and Run, and The Chair, all three of which I had to look up. <laughs> oh, I, I watched The Chair. It was, it was fine. You know, it's, yeah. it's fine. But, yeah. Oh, wait. 
clickbait I also watched, and that was clickbait, trashy. I think clickbait is the guy with Entourage in, right? Yeah, he gets like kidnapped, and then uh, like the more people who watch the video of him being kidnapped, like the closer he comes to being killed. Right. It's like a whole thing. But that in the UK was watched by allegedly 2.34 Netflix accounts, which we consume, even if we assume that's two people watching each time on average, that's like 5 million. 5 million is like a middling show. Like for comparison, the epic uh, and very popular British daytime quiz show, The Chase, which which has become my like benchmark for all this stuff, um, (laughs) is watched by about 2.53 million people a day. So Netflix's biggest show in the UK is watched by about the same number of people as The Chase. So what is The Chase? What is this? What is The Chase? I've never heard <laughs> Wait, of Wait, actually, hang on. Let's talk about a different one. Let's talk about Tipping Point because I need you to watch this video. What is Tipping Point? Tipping Point is... Uh... <laughs> uh... <laughs> hang on, let me find the video. Apparently uh... we have a show called The Chase in America that's based off the British one. Probably, yeah. All right, let me send you the link to this. According to the mirror, the Chase viewers were recently left gods gobsmacked by the youthful looking contestants real age. They often are. Now watch the clip I've just seen. Okay, hold on. I'm watching the clip. So this is In his epic poems, Homer often refers to nectar as the drink of the gods, and which other substance as their food. I know we like donuts. Oh no. I think I'll go in. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> so, which show is this? This is this is Tipping Point, uh, which I just thought was more interesting to talk about because there was a very funny incident from it. But Tipping Point is a, a quiz show based on the concept of: Do you know those machines you get in like arcades, the in like resort seaside resort towns where they have lots of coins in? And you put the coins in, and then they move backwards and forwards, and it pushes some of the coins off the front. If it pushes the coins off the front, you win. Oh, that. Yeah, okay. Right, we have an wait. entire quiz show based on that. Okay, wait. I have Googled the Chase UK, and then the top response is, who are the chasers on the chase? I can't find any information about what this show okay. is. So the chase <laughs> is a very simple show where you, you come on, uh, you're up against the chaser, who is basically a master quizzer. Like a very good person who's very good at quizzing, uh, you get I think it's seven rungs. You get offered like five thousand pounds, and you get a head start of two. One thousand pounds, you get a head start of three, or twenty five thousand pounds, and you get a head start of one. So basically, you then have to get to the end before the chaser catches you. The assumption is they're basically going to get all their questions right, and so you have to guess how many you're going to get wrong in that time. I fundamentally don't understand how that works, but I th- okay. Sure. Uh, it's a day- it sounds it's a, very complicated. It's a daytime quiz show. But the point is, so it's not... Is it's it like not... Jeopardy? Is it like British Jeopardy, basically? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Although we take it a lot less seriously. Like, everyone in the UK thinks it's kind of a bit of a joke and fun thing, whereas everyone in the US seems to think that Jeopardy is an important American cultural product that needs to be protected at all costs for reasons I don't understand. Well, Jeopardy uh, was re- recently entered the culture war, so that was a big deal. It did, but even before uh, then, it felt like a big thing, where it's just... I, Jeopardy is a big deal for some reason. I don't. I don't know why it's such a big yeah. deal. But okay, so we're talking. We're basically saying that like Netflix ratings are comparable to British Jeopardy. Yes, which sounds not impressive. <laughs> it sounds fine. It sounds totally fine. So a couple of weeks ago, you had a really interesting tweet that I want to talk about. 
next. Now that I now I understand this, but you tweeted just seen that Succession got three hundred and ten thousand viewers on Monday, or ten percent of the viewership of the Chase. <laughs> right. You you seem to be very hung up on comparing streaming services to the the Chase. So I think it's extremely I've, funny. It is very funny. So I, I I think what I want to talk about next is sort of the weird way that digital media outlets, in particular, kind of elevate these like weird streaming shows that no one's really actually watching and making them feel like they're massive deals. I mean, I I follow up in that thread later on because I don't really think it's true. Like every week, like some of the most watched things on British TV are just the news. And I think right. the fact that a lot of people watch something does not necessarily change its kind of like cultural value. Like it's one of those things where if you actually work out how many people watch like Avengers Endgame, which felt like the biggest thing in the world ever, is actually not nearly as many as you think. What do you mean? Well, what Netf Avengers Endgame made, what, $2 billion, I think? Something like that, yeah. If I divide that by, I don't know, uh, 12 bucks for a ticket, maybe, uh, it's probably a bit less than that, actually probably a bit more than that, because it's uh, so much of it's... Um, uh, 3D and you make so much more from it. Uh, so I say it's 15 bucks a ticket. Uh, when you actually kind of cut that down, it suggests that like 130 odd million people watched it in the cinema. Assuming that some of them watched it twice, which, you know, it's Marvel, it's going to be a pretty decent number. What you're actually looking at is, uh, hang on, like one in 50 people watched it in the cinema. Interesting. Which is, is that sort of thing where it's like, yeah, actually that does feel like less than it was at the time. And, you you can look at a lot of different things like this. When you actually start to cut these numbers down, it's it's not nearly a thing. However, Avengers Endgame is inherently more interesting than, for example, The Chase. Uh, and Succession <laughs> is more interesting than The Chase. So it makes sense that we talk about this stuff more because, you know, we don't review the news every night, even though more people watch it. We don't review the... Actually, I say this, people do review Jeopardy every day and it's like a whole industry for some it's reason. It's a thing. It's yeah. a whole thing. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. So he, he, here's where this starts to get really interesting, which is we are now in like this weird moment where movies are being released on streaming services while also being released to movie theaters. And it's kind of screwing up, I feel like, the way we think about – like obviously like the idea of like a monoculture has been on its way out for years. Um but I think now we're like even more fractured than we've ever been. And, and a large part of that is because like no one has the same streaming services. But this week or earlier this month, Halloween Kills was released on Peacock, which is a streaming service I don't have. And I have heard it's so complicated to use. Like during the Olympics, there was like guides being published about like how to actually use it. It's, it's right. owned by NBC and 1.2 million U.S. households watched Halloween Kills on Peacock, according to uh, uh, the data, um, according to Samba TV, which is like a TV insights group. And then similarly, uh, last week, uh, when Dune premiered on HBO Max, 1.9 million U.S. households watched Dune uh, yeah. on its Thursday night release. Dune was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. We'll t we could talk more about Dune at the end of the show. But I, I think it is interesting that like, those aren't particularly big numbers. No. So it's it, this this is it becomes very strange as this trying to like trying to compartmentalize like okay so what is the 
actual impact of this stuff? How many people is watch? How many people are watching it? What's the cultural scale of it? Because also, like something like Succession is a really big big example of this, where if you produce a show about the media, the media are going to be obsessed with it, as I am. It's an amazing show, but it, it over-indexes in the media by like a long way. Right. I mean, this was similar with the show White Lotus, which turns out it got a lot of Twitter attention because one of the main characters was like basically a Refinery Twenty Nine writer. So like, they're con- the show is constantly making jokes about like being an aggregator or like a blogger. <laughs> so obviously, like Twitter loves to watch it. And it reminded me of a thing that I had heard a long time ago, which I thought was really interesting. So back in 2015, it came out that like the site Gawker, their, their main metric for success was getting their stories to appear in Nick Denton's nuzzle alerts. Do you, do you, do you, do you remember what nuzzle was? (laughs) Yeah, I do. So if if you don't know what, if you don't know what we're talking about, nuzzle was a platform that you would, you would log into Twitter with. And then it would send you alerts when a lot of the people that you follow on Twitter were all sharing the same thing. And apparently Nick Denton at like the, the, the late stages of Gawker became so obsessed with this that it started to like impact the way he saw traffic. Cause it didn't matter if it was huge amounts of traffic. It mattered if like the same 20 people in, in like New York media were sharing it on Twitter. And I think that explains a lot of this. Do you remember Magic Rex on Twitter? No. Oh, maybe, maybe it never went to the US, but it was a, it was an, a Twitter account. It, was, it didn't tweet ever. Um, but it DM'd you to say that a certain person had suddenly gathered a lot of followers. Oh, I do remember this. Magic uh, Rex. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm saying this. It was from Twitter. I, I think yeah. I've only just discovered this, but yeah, it was a, uh, it was a Twitter like plan. They they sunsetted it in 2016. I remember Magic Rex. I had I I used it. Yeah, it was incredibly funny because you used to be able to game it, and once you got a group of people that was big enough, you could game it to send a Magic Rex to someone. Because there was a brief period, which again was BuzzFeed, when people used to BuzzFeed would hire someone, and everyone at BuzzFeed would immediately follow them on Twitter because everyone at BuzzFeed was like too active on Twitter, and it would send a Magic <laughs> Rex notification to everyone. But yeah. it then got to the point where we figured out we could trigger it by just following a random person. So like someone would leave that we didn't like from another outlet and then everyone would follow them. Yeah. And it would trigger the magic wrecks. Everyone would be like, oh, they've been hired by person. It's like, nope. Nope. We're just, just, just messing with you. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a, yeah, but exactly that's it. You know, someone sets something up and then you figure out how to game it. But yeah, it's similar. But I, I, I mean, I say this and Nick Denton is both wrong that it's not a measure. <laughs> It's a target, and there's always a confusing, confusing thing about this. It's a whole, like, uh, like productivity thing, where every time you produce a new measure, it becomes a target, uh, rather than a measure. Like, what you're trying to measure is actually the overall thing, but then suddenly people figure out ways to game it, and it immediately becomes a target. So if you say, you know, I want, uh, okay, actually, you know, here's, here's a good one. Um, if you want to, for example, get lots of engagement on Facebook, Initially, you're like, okay, what you should do is do more of the stories that already do engagement, which are, you right. know, these really like interesting communication posts that make people talk. What you actually end up with is people going like, oh, what I'll do is I'll put up a photo that says, like this, uh, if you hate Donald Trump. Right. It's, it just becomes like, uh, engagement bait. Yeah, exactly. And whatever you do, it kind of then becomes that thing. Like it's, yeah, as soon as you measure so- something, it becomes, a, it becomes a target rather than a measure. And that's, that's kind of, I think what, what you mean there. But, what I will say is that I can tell 
from our site how well our how how good our search ranking is by how often I see screen grabs of our headlines on Twitter. Really? Yeah, because it is when people are looking for a specific reference for a story. They're like, I remember this story vaguely from like two years ago, and they're like, uh, when did Boris Johnson say some mad thing? They search for that, and if we're the one that they find first, it means our search rank is doing well. So I can tell by the number of screen grabs I see. I'm not measuring it. I'm not, it's not a target, but I just know that it, that is there is a direct correlation. I see. So how does that impact like these weird streaming numbers that like aren't actually that big? Well, it doesn't. We've gone way off topic. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can I, I think we can jump back into these kind of like these very strange numbers that don't add up to what you think. All right. I I have I have a I have a chart here of okay. the top five most streamed titles of twenty twenty in the UK. Okay. Would you like to take a guess at the top five? Because you should be able to get four of them. The most streamed titles on Netflix in the UK. Yeah, and this is number of individual streams. Bridgerton. No. What? Really? Twenty twenty? Nope. Wait, did Bridgerton come out in 2021? Uh, maybe actually. Yes, it did. Okay, yeah, that would be why. Okay. Uh, I honestly can't remember anything that can't, comes on Netflix ever. I watch stuff on Netflix and it just leaves my brain entirely. I'm gonna, what, what I'm gonna say, five? I'm gonna say this. You don't need to know things that have come out on Netflix. Oh, so it's like Friends, The yep. Office. Nope. Uh, f- so Friends, uh, Big Bang Theory. Yep. Wow. Okay. This is grim. Uh, Friends is number two. Big Bang Theory is number three. What is number one? What are you what, what are you freaks watching? Uh God, is it like I don't know, what is it? Uh Modern Family. Oh god. I would have never Oh man, you guys have the worst taste in America. <laughs> number five Number five is How Mate Mother. Uh, what's number four? Money Heist. Oh yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Money Heist is massive. One of these are not <laughs> one of these is not like the others, but yeah, like that is a that is a really wild set of statistics for Netflix. Wow. That is that is so soul crushing. That's unbelievable. And what are the numbers like for that? Like, what what are the actual what's the actual data for that? Huge. Um. So, Jesus. Okay. Modern Family accumulated more than one billion streams over the year. One billion. Yeah. It had more than two point seven million a day. That is, which is roughly on a par with the Chase. That is triple the amount of people that watched Dune last week. Basically, yeah. But it's worth pointing out these are the number of individual streams, which each episode was count as a, would count as a new stream. So if someone's also this comes up, like there is a genuine question about like how much of this is people leaving stuff on as they go to sleep, which is apparently is much more common than I thought it was. But apparently yeah, a lot sense. of people do. So you know, if you're watching one episode of Modern Family before you go to sleep, you're actually watching like eight. So I guess like the question for people who are who are probably listening to this is like, what's the deal? What's what's the point of any of this? I think the point of any of this is that Netflix end up in this fascinating situation where what they are trying to do is produce a wide variety of new and original and interesting content when actually what is people are watching, uh, particularly high-use viewers, is just all the same stuff as you would expect. Like, right. So the this is slightly further on. This is Q1 2021. Uh, and Q1 2021 is, is, was locked down over here. So again, again, also it's worth taking these numbers with a pinch of salt because they are all lockdown numbers basically. Um, but the average weekly viewer minutes, uh, for young account holders, so 18 to 24 year olds, 
uh, the most watched show on that metric in Q1 2021 was Suits. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. Although Bridgerton is on this list. It's just not that high up. Uh, number yeah. two, number, number two is Modern Family, then Big Bang Three, then Prison Break. Somehow. Wow. Um, but yeah, again, I think lockdown kind of screwed up because people were looking for stuff that had like a lot of series that they could just kind of plow through because there was nothing else to do. Um, but what that is, is, is if you're the Netflix, what you're trying to do is figure out, okay, how do we make new stuff while maintaining kind of these properties that actually people are watching? Because this is what high usage accounts are watching. Whereas lower usage accounts, and this I think is really interesting, um, are, are not watching this. They very rarely watch this, but what they're actually mostly watching is kind of Tiger King, uh, Bridgerton, actually, stuff like that, where it's more based around, the, it's more original stuff. So what you've really got is you've got this, all these accounts, most of whom are watching some of Netflix original content, then high use accounts, which typically are younger as well, because they tend to use it more, um, who are watching just garbage <laughs> like yeah. american sitcoms basically yeah just like the the worst shit in the world what i think is really interesting so variety published findings uh earlier this month from a firm called deloitte and yes, they, deloitte. they yeah they uh they identified a really interesting problem that a lot of streaming services are having which they're calling churn and return which is basically like really young users are just getting accounts and then canceling them and then resubscribing like 12 months later. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's going to definitely become more, a bigger thing with more, uh, users, like, or, or, or with more streaming services and more users, because you're not going to subscribe to like eight streaming services at a time, but you might no. say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get prime video for two months. I'm going to watch everything on it that's new that I'm interested in. Then I'm, I'm going to cancel that, jump to Peacock, watch everything on new that's on that for two months which will take you four months because you'll find it hard to find it all uh yeah it's an impossible app to use yeah yeah and then you just kind of jump between them rather than having like okay we're gonna have all nine streaming services or whatever at all times what's also really interesting is like this same study that deloitte did found that the number one form of entertainment for gen z is not watching tv shows or movies it's playing video games Interesting. and so it's like a completely different user behavior where like younger people are just signing up binging the entire platform at once and then coming back when there's like a new show which yeah. means that like we could be very soon at a place where younger users just they don't want the streaming aspects they just want to like jump in watch it all and leave which is kind of closer to like what a traditional tv was yeah exactly it's something like squid game like if you are you know using tiktok and constantly seeing people talking about squid game and doing squid game challenges you're like fine i'll i'll sign up to netflix i'll watch squid game but you'll sign up for a month watch it and then quit because you're not that bothered right. by the rest of it and so kind of holding on to those people is really tricky yeah i mean if you just sign up for a month watch uh a billion hours of how I met your mother <laughs> and then delete your account. Like there's really no need to stick around if, uh, especially if you're, you know, a weird Gen Z kid who's only playing video games, like which would also maybe explain why they're watching absolute shit on Netflix is because they just have it running. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's going as something else, but they're not really, yeah, not really getting into that that much. I briefly went through a phase where I was watching all of uh, the X-Files from start to finish <laughs> while also playing Breath of the Wild the Zelda game for Switch, which means I now have like a very weird connection in my brain of X-Files episodes and Breath of the Wild, and they're just like now connected forever in my brain. 
Um, Go. Yeah. So okay, Hang on, I've got one more bit of good news from this, and then I think we can we can move on. Okay. Or news that you'll enjoy. Uh, okay. This is uh, in the UK. The how much anime has been watched on Netflix? How much? Yeah. So the average daily reach of anime in 2017 uh, was about 200,000 people. Okay. Uh, in 2020, it was 1.7 million people. Dude, the pandemic was hard on you guys. <laughs> it turned you all on the anime watchers. It more well, than, between 2019 and 2020, the reach of anime more than doubled. That I mean, that's the power of anime. You know, that's that's it. It's, it's nearly uh, as big as the chase now. Anime is almost as big as the chase. Yeah. So, um, friend of the show, Julie Alexander, she works uh, as a strategy analyst for Parrot Analytics. So she does a lot of stuff with streaming data, uh, and she shared a really interesting article from puck the like the new uh i don't know what they are like the new news site thing puck sure you know, okay you know? no i've not heard of the new news site puck but i i, I believe they oh exist. really it's like uh, a thing yeah anyways um but it, it's really interesting uh piece kind of looking at like the cultural shifts around like how movies are consumed uh and it, it reads but even before the pandemic, that just wasn't good enough anymore. Stars guarantee nothing without IP, so a full freight original studio movie like Last Duel had to hit the bullseye. Now, the entire dartboard has been shrunk thanks to COVID and the accelerated shift to streaming. Kids think theaters are for old people, and now old people think theaters are dangerous, and they're finally figuring out how to use the Netflix their kids hooked up for them. Marvel and horror, still fine, but sending an adult-targeted, non-branded movie like Last Duel into theaters isn't just a long shot. It now feels like a fool's errand. And I think this is sort of kind of the point that I want to like bring this whole episode to, which is that like the stuff that is doing well on Netflix is not doing as well as The Chase, but it is doing well enough that it is very, very quickly eclipsing all other forms of entertainment. Yeah. Which is a really, really scary and weird feeling. Like, Squid Game is a fluke. It was not, like, a sure thing, and it was not expected to be the biggest TV show in the world, but it happened. But for the most part, these streaming metrics, which are just, like, vague numbers, kind of maybe proving that, like, a million people watched a thing, are almost, across the board, making these companies invest more in like existing intellectual property. Yeah, that's, um, I don't know quite know how to deal with that because it's, it's, it's this thing. And you know what it, you know what it actually is? And, and we've noticed this probably before the pandemic, before the rise of streaming, before a lot of other stuff. It is the absolute death of the middle brow. Like it is the yes. difference between, you know, you can still, if you want, go see an indie movie, uh, in which two people bumble each other for, 90 minutes and you can go see an enormous blockbuster in which everything explodes constantly what you can't go and see is a fun courtroom drama with a good star yes so like squid game is a really weird show but at the same time from a analytics standpoint it is not that weird because netflix has data that says that people like death games they have a ton of death games already on their platform they also know that there's a huge audience for Korean dramas. And they also know that there's a very big audience for like dark satires about social inequality. You put that all together, you get Squid Game. Yeah. You're not algorithmically going to produce something like the movie The Fugitive, which I watched fairly recently. And that movie's really weird because it's just like a man 
It's about a like it's about a man who is on the run from the law, and that is the whole movie. It is just like it, he's he's like a guy. He's just like a guy. <laughs> like I don't yeah. know how to describe how weird that is. That he's he's like a doctor who gets framed for a murder, and then there's like no real action set pieces. Like there's the famous scene at the dam, but and then I think he like storms a gala at the end. Like it's just a a movie about a guy. Yeah, there's like, a bunch of movies I've really liked and enjoyed that just they've kind of disappeared. And actually, I was trying to think when I just said that, I was like, I think I've stolen this from somewhere, and I've just found out where I've stolen it from, and I stole it from Matt Damon. Uh, what? Yeah, uh, he didn't. What, what did Matt, What did Matt Damon have to say? Uh, he did an interview with New York Times in July, uh, and basically the the writer said, uh, over the course of his career, Damon has seen the films like the ones that sustained him. That is the twenty million to seventy million dollar drama, what he calls his bread and butter, mostly disappear. Uh, quote from Damon: You need those roles to develop as an actor and build your career, and those are gone. Courtroom dramas, all that stuff, they can't get made. Back to the the the. the Writer, these sorts of movies have been replaced by more easily exportable, higher budget, but paradoxically lower risk ones. Um, Damon again, you're looking for a home run that can play in all these different territories to all these different ages. You want the most successful thing you can make in terms of language and culture. And what is that? A superhero movie. And yeah, right. and that's exactly it. Like we've lost the middle, the middle ground. And like, you know, it, it's like with everything on the internet where the stuff that you lose is the stuff that we never knew if anyone liked it. And obviously, like, people will like it, but to exist on the internet at scale with the way, like, analytics work is so cutthroat that – the same effect has actually happened to writing online. Like, the, like the whole idea of the, like, 900-word post, the, 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 the 900-word, like, news story is gone. You know, like, you, you have your long form, then you have, like, your breaking news, and there's really not much in between anymore. Yeah. Uh, and like a lot of forms of, of, like a lot of creative content that would exist in that middle vacuum, which is where like the weird quirky stuff is, is, is disappearing or it's being like franchised out. So you get something like, you know, A24, the studio that just makes like uh, factory style, like small budget movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. It is very weird. Um, it almost feels like everything is is some kind of like franchise, even if it's not a franchise now. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of fun stuff that's gone. <laughs> yeah, this episode's uh, pretty dark, huh? Yeah. Well, speaking of content, have you consumed any good content this week? Oh, yeah, so this great drama on Netflix, uh, You. <laughs> oh, season three? It's very good. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Have you finished it? I did, yeah. It's very, very fun. I enjoy that show because it's really stupid, but it, it's like it knows that it's stupid. Uh, although I wish season three had more murder. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I enjoy him not being able to murder and him going through the process of discovering that he wants to murder and, and, and shouldn't murder and then still will murder. And Yeah, there's. I think Penn Badgie is just great in that role. Like, I I I struggle to know how funny it's supposed to be, because there are chunks of it I'm like, you're definitely supposed to be funny. Have I shared with you my you fan theory? No, hit me. 
Uh, so I believe that you is a Frankenstein adaptation and okay. that the whole show is that like he is a monster that's revealing the monstrousness of the society around him. And this season is basically the plot of like the ride of Frankenstein. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, in that the bride of Frankenstein becomes more evil than Frankenstein himself or sorry, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, you're right. If you watch the first season, there's a ton of references to Frankenstein, like the, the book. He, I think he has, he's reading it at one point. And it, it, it keeps popping up. And I'm pretty sure you is, is, is heavily based on Frankenstein. I see that. I see that. It annoys me that they left New York. I felt like it was better in New York. How about you? Uh, what content have you consumed to stay sane? I watched Dune, which was extremely good. I intend to watch Dune this weekend. So please don't tell me too much about it, but it was good. Oh man, if you think that I could sit here and describe to you anything that happens in that movie, <laughs> you're out of your mind. Uh, I watched The New Mutants, which is a horrible movie. Like a truly train wreck of a movie. Um, I watched A Quiet Place Part 2, which is very good, but it has some pacing issues. And I'm currently catching up on Doom Patrol, which is possibly the best TV show on not... TV because it's it's on a streaming service, of but it's like the best TV which, show. Which on Which streaming internet. service? HBO Max. It's very good. Uh, oh, this the, this is the other annoying thing. It really bugs me that we cannot get. Not I can't get certain shows in the UK, and it's like all this stuff is. Control- I probably can't see that. That's probably not on any channel that I have. No, probably not. Um, there's oh, we also like we didn't really talk about this in the sh- in, in in the main part of the show, but I think it is worth mentioning that there's like. Uh, like a slowly forming like class divide over what streaming shows or people are watching. And I feel like in America in particular, there is like a huge divide between the people who are watching Netflix and the people who are watching HBO max. That sounds right. Yeah. I don't think we, ha- I don't think we have that. I mean, we have, we have sky, but all of our big prestige premium dramas are still BBC. So they're still ill, still all still available. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think I think Americans are like beginning to associate like different streamers with like different levels of like entertainment <laughs> and class, and I think it's going to get much worse. That's good. That's um, fine. You should head over to our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/TheContentMinds, to listen to me and Luke talk about the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Um, that is the last of our Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, and then well, we're heading over. Is it? Well, I don't know, but we are next heading to the Tom Holland Spider-Man. Uh, which will be very interesting. Uh, go to our iTunes page and leave us a comment uh, as if you were reviewing The Last Duel with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. <laughs> okay. Uh, and if you're in New York City, uh, this will come out the day after my live show. But I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I loved seeing you all there. It was super great. Um, I I I enjoyed meeting all of the Content Minds fans that came out to see me. So that's cool. Um, yeah, Luke, you got anything? I don't. I I've got nothing except that we've got a, we've got a live show in the UK coming up as well. That is true. We have a live show in the UK. We're starting to get the kind of like flow of the show down. It's going to be very funny i think um i'm very excited and yeah we will see you next week goodbye bye